This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, Kyle Hauk. Some of you may not even know him. He hasn't been here in months, it seems like. We're, we've we been hit or miss since uh, the whole office relocation thing and everything else. I got to give him a little bit of a hard time, but we are coming so, off of a couple a couple pretty solid weekends, man. Yeah. So I used to think that um, I had like a pretty good immune system, <laughs> and, and apparently I was just good at staying away from people that were sneezing directly into my eyeballs. You didn't have kids. I mean, that was that's exactly like, what it was. God. You did it's not like, have carrier monkeys coming home from school every day. And even when you had Nash, you guys kept him at home. So he didn't go. Oh, yeah. To, he didn't start school until August, man. He wants to go to the crucible every day, man. Walking Petri dish. It's disgusting. It's like, it, it just, oh, God. I see his fingers and I'm just like, oh. You know, it's funny, man. We were walking down Fifth Avenue and Annie, Annie was like, I think I'd really like a soft pretzel. And so she goes to walk over to this food cart, and at exactly that time, this guy just sticks his grimy bear paw into the pile of pretzels. God. And I told her, I'm like, did you even take a second to look at uh, the underneath of that dude's fingernails? She, by the way, did not buy the pretzel. She also had seen it. But I'm just like, this is insane. People want to know why they get sick, man. What are, the, what are people doing so- ordering this food? So a kid is one thing. Like, you know, there's it's relatively unavoidable. They're- if you're an adult grown person and you're sticking your disgusting hands into like a, a public food situation like that, like it was I lying mean, down the block. Where, are the, where are the tongs? There. Are there no tongs? Or there's no... Yeah, they were sitting right there hanging on the food cart. Good Lord. Anyhow, good, good weekend. This weekend had a better weekend. I don't want to say a better week per se. Last weekend, also pretty solid. Yeah. Yep. We were able to get the Hauk family over to the, the addition in Tampa and provide a wonderful spa afternoon for our wives and a nice yeah. dinner and just a chance to get them out of the house since they've been dealing with sick kids for the better part of the last couple of months, man. Anyhow. It's been absurd, and that was much appreciated. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. But um, today we got a good guest. We got Ryan Reynolds. Now, for those of you who have Mint Mobile, this is not the customer service line. You know, this wrong Ryan Reynolds. I'd argue this. No Wrexham soccer. 
Yeah. You know, it's funny too, because I feel like there's been multiple times that I've been in conversations where I've said Ryan Reynolds and it would apply to either the actor or this Ryan Reynolds. But I'm talking about the Ryan Reynolds from Grimes Insurance in Lubbock, Texas. And we're going to talk a little bit about his journey. And, you know, Ryan and I don't know each other personally as well as I think either one of us would like to, but that'll come with time. I just, I want to hear more about your backstory, man, and how you got the agency, how you got involved in the agency. And then let's talk a little bit about what we always talk about, what you're doing and and what can we learn from each other? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. Look forward to it. And you're the host of, you're the host of a podcast too. So we need to make sure we plug that while we're on there. Yeah. Yeah. Insurance leaders, man. It's where it's at. Exactly. So uh, as we get kicked off, man, why don't you just sort of give a little bit about your background and what led you to, because you acquired Grimes. You didn't build Grimes from scratch. Uh, You know, I think it's actually, I do know enough about the story, that story to know that it's a pretty cool story because your agency is old as Methuselah where it's at. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's uh, this October, this past October, just a couple months ago, we turned 75. So it's been here in Lubbock, Texas for 75 years. That's awesome. So how, yeah. how did you get involved? Uh, you want the long story or the short one? We're know, here we got for like an hour. Four, so yeah, we're here for another 49 <laughs> minutes, man. So whatever floats your boat. All right. So lo- long story short, uh, I was a college student and got recruited by State Farm while I was still a student and uh, went and worked in their claims department as a customer service, kind of stuffing envelopes and answering phones and routing phone calls. Till I finished my degree, uh, pretty quickly on, I knew I wanted to be a State Farm agent, or I thought I did. Uh, matter of fact, funny story, I was a pre-med student, and uh, a mentor of mine had come to me and said, why do, you, why do you want to go into medicine? And I said, well, really what I want to do is I want to own you know, a chain of pediatric clinics or something like that. And uh, he kind of laughed, and he said, you know how much money that's going to cost? You know how much debt you're going to be in when you, finish, when you finish school? Let me show you a way where you can make just as much, if not more, and not acquired, you know, half as much debt. So that kind of got me on my path to being a State Farm agent. Uh, so I worked for State Farm for 16 and a half years. I was an agent wow. for about three. Uh, and then I was on the corporate side, um, kind of agency leadership, uh, and then climbed up my way into the uh, executive offices, executive leadership for State Farm. Uh, and uh, about year 14 or 15 at State Farm, I just I got to a point, man, where I just, uh, in my opinion and, and what I, what I share with people is I felt like state farm at the time and still to some degree is suffering from an identity crisis. You know, their home and their largest home and auto carrier in the country. They wanted to be in the banking business, the mortgage business, you know, all these different entities. And really what they were doing is they were sucking the profits from the home and auto business, pouring them back into losing, uh, losing propositions into their mortgage business and the banking business and all those things. Meanwhile, you got at the ground level, you got all these independent state farm agents who uh, are dying because they, you know, they don't have competitive rates because they're taking all the profits and investing in all these other, all these other companies. And I just got to the point where it really became a moral dilemma for me. I I felt like I couldn't sell the opportunity and couldn't stand behind it uh, any longer and, and really just lost interest in it. So uh, when I finally got to the point where I decided I'm I'm going to go back and be an agent, I I put a pen and paper to or a pen to paper and tried to make the State Farm agent opportunity work again. I was going to go back and be a State Farm agent. 
And I just couldn't number wise, once you get to know me, you'll know me. I'm a, I'm an analytical person. I'm a numbers guy and, a, and an Excel geek. I just couldn't make the numbers work. I couldn't put my life savings into an opportunity that I didn't believe in that I was going to be able to get a sizable return. So literally, and Dave, you'll love this. I, I wanted to be here in Lubbock, Texas. I'd been here in Lubbock for five years or so. I'd grown really fond of the community. It's about 300,000 people. It's the home of Texas Tech. I love college sports. It's a, it's a great place to raise kids. I have four kids. And uh, uh, so I literally just picked up the phone and started cold calling independent agents. Told them who I was and what I wanted to do and asked them if they were willing to either bring on a partner or sell. And hmm. uh, uh, that's, that's how I ended up with Grimes. Mariana Grimes picked up the phone and uh, took my call. And she said, well, as a matter of fact, we're, we're entertaining offers right now. Wow. And, uh, she really didn't take me too seriously because they, they had offers from, uh, if you're familiar with them, Gallagher and some of these big, uh, conglomerates and, uh, yeah, but I bet I was, you none of them called up and asked them if they would be willing to take on a partner too. No, no, they didn't. They, Mariana Grimes sought them out. Uh, hmm. so after, uh, several pesky phone calls and being kind of a pest to them, they finally relented and gave me an opportunity to talk to him. I took him to lunch. And uh, walked away from that lunch with them saying, if we can make it work, I want to sell to this guy. So uh, fast forward uh, about a year, the transaction took eight months, 10 months, something like that. Uh, closed on on the uh, the business. I bought the business and uh, I've, uh, I've owned it. January 1st will be five years. Wow. Yeah, I think it's interesting, man, because I have to believe that Part of the I mean, number one, if you're a 75 year old agency, I don't care how much money you're offered, how much money you walk away with, there will always be some level of buyer's remorse. And the reason I know that is because 100% of my friends that have sold for even north of 10 million walk away and they still miss being in the agents. I shouldn't say buyer's remorse might not be the right word, but there's there's still a void that's left because we're so committed to being in our operations every yeah. single day. And it's a business that's held very, very closely, not just by you, but also by your team. Your team members are investing in it. They've given it yeah. a portion of their lives and everything else. So, I mean, I, if I had to guess, you know, to my point, when I made the comment earlier, I have to believe that by showing you wanted to work side by side as a partner probably brought down some resistance from them. Because yep. anybody else is just going to buy it and do whatever they want with it. You're showing you don't have an interest in changing necessarily the culture, the operations, or any of that. You're just looking for a place to hang your hat when they're ready to retire. Yep. So the the best question I asked at that lunch, and they walked into that lunch really skeptical. And I think literally, if you asked them, if you asked Marianna today, they took that lunch as a kind of a pity lunch because I just I wouldn't leave them alone. I just bugged Th the crap those are my out. favorite though, right? Because yeah. you're, they're completely underestimating you. Yep. Completely underestimating. So we sat down at lunch and, and they were telling me about their agency as a whole, how many team members, their premium revenue, all that kind of stuff. And you know, that they had, they had, I think they had three or four other offers from, from these large firms. And the best question I asked was, why haven't you taken one? Right. You yeah, why, why are you sitting here talking with me? If you've got a bunch of other offers on the table that are. Yeah. And you clearly know that I'm the underdog. Yeah. Why are we here today? 
Probably because you were badgering them and they were persistent. Yeah, that's exactly right. So their their answer was, well, number one, they want to decentralize our agency and we care about our team members. I think at the time they had about 12 or 14 team members. We care about our team, their family, and they're going to lose their jobs. Number two, we care about our family's name. It's on the, it's on the sign. That means something to us. And, and those are the two reasons we haven't sold yet. And I said, then I'm your solution. I'll make you promise I'm not going to fire a single one of them. I'm not going to change anything. No processes, no system. I'm not going to change anything for a year. And, and number two, I promise you when you come back in 10 or 15 years, you're going to be proud of what the Grimes name still means in this town. I'm, I make those promises to you. Uh, and still to this day, those are promises that, that I kept and I, I intend to keep. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, man, it, when you have an agency that's family name, 75 years in existence, the last move you want to do is to change the name of the agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't want to change the name of the agency. And here's the other thing. Think about this. The, the difference between captive insurance and, and independent insurance is like night and day. It's like light and dark. I mm-hmm. knew nothing. And I was smart enough to know that I didn't know anything. Sure. So I, I wasn't going to change a thing for a year. So my first year, literally, I sat knee to knee, toe to toe with every single one of my team members. I want to know what you do every day. I want to know every button you poke. And I want to know why you poke that button and why you do this and how you do this. So I, I needed, I needed a, a quick education. I need a master's degree in 12 months is what hmm. I needed. And, so what, and was, what was the most fun about that process? I think more than anything is, uh, so here, here's the magic in it. And this is not why I was doing it, but the, the side benefit was trust. Those team members who had, you know, we're talking 50, 60, 70 year olds mm-hmm. who just saw me as a punk, you know, I think I was, what was, I was 40 at the time, 39, 40. I just, I was this punk kid that was coming in to change everything and change their lives. And, and I was going to turn this into a corporate, this and a corporate that it was trust. So that was, that was the magic potion that, that allowed me to, after that first 12 months to really go in and start implementing processes and systems and scale and just blow this thing up. And it was all, it was all that, that time, that first year I just spent side by side with them, learning their jobs learning their kids' names, their husband's name, you know, what, what they did for a living, all those things. I mean, there had to be some challenges with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Biggest challenge was, so I'm, I'm an efficiency person, right? And I'm seeing them do everything three and four times. And I'm like, <laughs> you, you know, in, in the state farm world, state farm agents, they do not know how good they have it. State farm does everything for them. And so I quickly learned wh- why so many people don't become independent agents. I mean, the amount of work and latency was just incredible. Uh, so there were some significant learnings for me. And I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of nights I went home just like, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> this, this is crazy. I'm, well, the other I, thing, I, too, though, is, I mean, you have so many decisions that you have to make as an independent agency <laughs> principal that is a captive agency principal. You simply don't have to make yeah. agency management systems, CRM, any of that stuff yep. is already decided for you. So I don't think people understand. I, I think that the, the independent agents understand, but I don't, I don't think that the general public in the captives really understand unless they've stepped over to the independent side, just how stressful and strenuous that process yeah. can be because you don't have, you, you have a, you have peer groups that you can rely on to ask questions to, but again, you have to pre-qualify all of that because 
every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the internet is going to give you an answer to a question, and you don't know what size, shape their agency is. Does it matter with the mix of business we're writing? What about the geography? We run into this with Killing Commercial all the time, man. There are times where I have to say, look, I honestly can't give you a good answer to this because we don't deal with this in Florida. Let me find somebody in yeah. my network that's going to be a better resource for you than what I can be because I don't want to give you bad information. But yeah, it's like literally you go from a position where you and, and I, I don't think that it's a bad move, man. I, I think there's a certain appeal to the captive side where yeah, you just absolutely. you can go in, you can focus on selling and taking care of your clients and call it a day. And over here, we have to make a decision about literally everything. Now, I wouldn't change what where I'm at now for yeah. anything, but yeah. I don't know that the captive gig is necessarily bad. If you just want to be able to go in and, and sell and make money and, and lead a team, you can still fulfill a lot of those things that leaders want inside of the captive relationship. It's, it's just, just a different the, setup. The trade-off well, for, the, for the freedom to be able to make your own decisions on, uh, yeah. on everything that you just talked about. Well, well and so you, you talk about that, Kyle, freedom, right? You, you do. You've got freedom to be able to make all those decisions, but that freedom's also, it, it's it's debilitating, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have so many freaking- Paralysis, yeah. Yeah, paralysis by analysis. And then couple that with this. So I've, I've had, I've had uh, agency owners tell me, oh, you, you bought your agency. That, that's the easy way. I'm like, bro, you don't know. Check this out. This true story. Month one, I don't know anything. I don't even know my team member's name. And in 30 days from now, I got a $75,000 monthly principal and interest payment. Mm. Imagine going to sleep at night with that burden. I don't know anything about the business I just bought. I know insurance, but I don't, I know very little about this business. And, and in 29 days from today, I got a $75,000 principal and interest payment every single month for the next 10 years. Mm. I mean, the stress with that is just, and on top of that, trying to commit to really for 12 months, not change anything, to learn yeah. processes and learn systems and not just go do your very best to turn on the production switch, but to really learn the business, to be able to change it and to modernize it. So it, here's, here's where we were at. And I say this out of zero disrespect to Mariana Grimes because she built an incredible agency. When I bought it, they were at 2.5 million in revenue. Uh, they, uh, I don't remember what they were at premium wise, but 2.5 million. I think they were about 15 million in revenue, somewhere in that ballpark. 2.5 million in revenue. So when I bought the agency, somebody would call in and ask for a home or an auto quote. Somebody, they would transfer them to a salesperson. The salesperson would write down on a printed Word document, their name, address, phone number, roof age, all that kind of stuff. They'd put it in a manila folder. They would walk it back over to somebody else who then opened it, inputted all the information to a rater, quoted it. They'd put the sheet back of paper. They'd print all the quotes off. They put it back in the manila folder. They'd walk it back to the producer. The producer would then have the conversation, sell the policy, make all their notes on paper, then put it back in a manila folder, walk it up to a customer service rep and say, hey, I need, to issue, I need you to issue this on the 15th of next month. Yeah. It was so antiquated and how they did things. And I'm, I'm a process, I'm a system, I'm a tech guy. So I'm like, I, I'm dying here. <laughs> we have got so much opportunity to modernize this thing. And then if that's the team members experience, imagine trying to recruit team members into that environment 
and to, to modernize the agency from a tech side? And then what kind of experience are the customers having if they're waiting three and four days for quotes? And so anyways, all those, all that to be said is that it was a mountain to climb uh, to get to the point we're in now. And fortunately, uh, like I said, January 1st will be five years. We've We've doubled. We'll uh, we'll barely surpass five million in revenue this year, and uh, I, I think premium for those that think in premium. I think we're about thirty five million in premium. So we, yeah, those we, people don't listen to this podcast, Ryan. Okay, um, good. We've good. tried to train them and filter them out as much good, as possible. Good. So we we've uh, we've had a heck of a ride, and it's been a ton of fun. Is without question has been a ton of work. And people ask me, you know, how, how have I never heard of you? How, why do I not know you? And the answer is, man, because I was buried in the sand. My head was literally <laughs> nose to the grindstone for four years before we could uh, pick our heads up enough to to pay attention to what's going on in the industry. And we're just trying to build systems, processes, and and modernize this beast so we can scale it and put the thing on steroids and move it along. So what have you done? Obviously, like you didn't touch anything for a year, right? Yeah. And yeah. you know, you wanted to see how things kind of worked and <clears throat> and shook out what have you done to create efficiencies within the agency over the last four years to kind of get it more in line with technology and just the way you operate yeah so i i think the 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 biggest thing probably that that uh speaks and and uh most people can understand is i i had i had uh sales producers that were making let let i, I don't remember what they were making let's just say it was forty or fifty thousand dollars a year and they were doing the job of $10 an hour employees. They were pushing paper. They were doing all those things. So consequently, the most they could really do is they could have about eight conversations a day, six to eight conversations a day. And I said, man, if we're going to scale this thing, we've got to change that. They've, we've got to be able to create an ability for them to have 25 to 50 actual sales conversations a day. And the only way to do that is to get all the service work and all the paper and all the processes off of them. So I, I really went to work on building and, and I, this was not only a, a piece to help improve the customer experience and not only to, to make the lives of my, my sales team members easier, but it was also a, a product I was trying to create so I could go out and recruit more salespeople. So I knew that's, that's what I needed is more salespeople. And so we basically built this process, Kyle, where now when, when somebody's calling in or, or uh, we're talking to somebody that my sales team, all they do is have a sales conversation. That's it. They don't quote anybody. They don't, they don't issue policies. They don't take applications. They're not chasing clients for signatures. They're, they're literally just having sales conversations. And we built processes on the back end where, so I think of, of the team, I think we have about uh, 15 virtual employees now and they're doing all the quoting. They're doing all the service work. They're doing all the, the application pieces. And my salespeople, and that's that's the product that I can sell now to to recruits is, you know, if they've got experience somewhere else, the question I always ask them is, what do you hate about your job now? You're a state farm team member, a farmer's team member, or you work in an independent. What do you hate most about your job? Well, what do they always say? I hate applications. I hate paperwork. I hate customer service work. Come work at Grimes. You don't do any of that. You literally sell all day long. That's all you do is have sales conversations. So that while that's a, a broad brush there Kyle basically what we did is just modernized all the processes to include my theory was I want 
I want $30, $40 an hour people doing $30 and $40 an hour jobs and and $8 an hour people doing $8 an hour jobs. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't seem like a a huge task, but when you're, uh, you're in a business where you're getting, you know, 200 inbound phone calls a day and people are just nose to the grindstone all day long, that's, that's a monumental task. So it's that, then it's, that's building out. We, and large, uh, large thanks, uh, in part to David, uh, we really, we had a commercial department, but it was one person. Uh, I I think it was about 75,000 a year in revenue. Uh, and so that was one of the biggest opportunities that I saw early on in, uh, negotiating the purchase price of the agency was we're missing massive opportunities here, not only in the marketplace, but if you take the the 4,000 clients that we have, 25% of them have, have got to be decision makers or business owners in a, in a business. We've got an opportunity there to scale this commercial side of the business. So the other piece of that was number one, learning commercial insurance, because as a State Farm employee, really what we knew is BOPS. <laughs> that's, right. that's what we knew. So learning commercial insurance and then and then building the processes and hiring the people, the the account managers, the CSRs, the producers, all those things, and and getting those guys up to speed quickly. So we've we've grown that. We've really only been hammering out commercial insurance for about two years, and I think I think this year we'll uh, we'll cross somewhere in the neighborhood of about eight hundred thousand in revenue. So we're not anywhere close to to the opportunity that I think we have, but we we've grown it pretty significantly over the last year and a half, two years. So what was the most frustrating thing for you when you went down this road? I think, I think probably the most frustrating part was, you know, that's, that's not the way we did it before. Yeah. (laughs) Not a shot. That's not how so-and-so taught us how to do it. That was probably the, we do things with manila folders here, guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and and then yeah, where are you, you know, taking of, my filing cabinet, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, have exactly you seen my right. stapler? <laughs> exactly right. So you you got a lot of that. You you've got the other frustrating part for me was I, I didn't have to know one company. I I needed to know thirty five different companies mm-hmm. and manage to a to a large degree thirty five or forty five relationships with carriers and and uh, uh, MGAs and all those types of things. So that that was a huge. Which means me you is, had to manage about 300 relationships with individual people yeah, inside yeah, exactly. of all of those relationships you have to manage. Yeah, exactly. It's, it and snowballs really quick. It snowballs really quick. And not wanting to be the point of contact on every single person. The other part of that was I had to develop a leadership team really quickly. So managers to help me manage departments who thought like I did, who had my shared my same vision and who were willing to to trust me enough to do things the way I wanted it done and to lead people in a really proactive and productive way uh, and to invest in people. So I felt like I was always just spinning plates on my fingers and and dropping plates left and right and picking them up and hoping, hoping it wasn't completely broke that just cracked and I could fix it and keep spinning it. So it was just balancing priorities and, and, uh, and all those things. But fortunately it's, we haven't done it perfectly, but we're, we're on the right track and moving in the right direction. So I'm interested because, I mean, for you to have the number of virtual employees you have now, I know that took time for you. You didn't just go out and hire that many at one time. 
you had to sell the use of virtual employees internally, even though you're the figurehead of the operation, you still got to make sure people understand this is not for somebody to replace you. This is somebody to make you even more efficient and allow you to focus more on the things you actually like to do. And it's funny because a lot of the times when I talk with agencies, the pushback they get, um, they get pushback from their service team on bringing VAs in when the reality is, those VAs are typically taking the tasks those people hate the most. And as soon yeah. as you can sit down and actually explain that, they can understand, oh, you mean I'm not going to have to do this, this, or this anymore. Now, all of a sudden, it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. They're they're all on board, right? But yeah. that being said, you know, there's a process to bringing in virtual help. And I'm I'm interested, like, how did you set the agency up to be able to scale that way virtually? especially knowing you were relatively new to the independent channel and you didn't even know what you had on your plate yet, you know? Yeah. So when did, when, how far in did you start making those moves and how did you set yourself up for success to be able to scale to where you're at now? Well, so I probably the biggest mistake I made was when I started making changes because I'm naturally inclined to the sales side of the business and not the service side. So I started making changes in the sales side. And really what that did is just exacerbated every single problem and inefficient we, inefficiency we had on the customer service side. So had hindsight 2020, I would have started with customer service and then went to sales, but you know, I'm, I'm a sales guy. So that's where I want to start that for where my passion was. So how I did that, David, was we started improving efficiencies in the sales side and we turned from getting, you know, 300 or excuse me, 150 inbound phone calls a month to 300 inbound. So we're, you know, we go from writing a hundred thousand dollars a month in in uh, in premium to writing seven hundred thousand dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars a month. And my service team, I'm looking up, and they're literally there till eight o'clock every night. They have no life, and they're they're just they're snappy and snippy with customers because they're frustrated, they're overworked, they're pissed off, they hate their jobs. So I said, okay, th I've really got to dive in here and understand what you guys do every single day and play with me here for a minute. If I can make your job easier, and if I can get you out of here at five o'clock, will you trust me? Will you do whatever I tell you to do? And they said, yeah. So we just started uncovering all the different jobs. You know, hey, walk me through every day what you do, what you do every single day. Well, would it make sense for you to do that or would you rather someone else do that? I didn't say it was a VA, just said someone else. They didn't even know what VAs were at the time. So I, they said, yeah, if somebody else could do that, that would really help me. And I'm thinking in my head, unlicensed activity, right? A licensed person doesn't have to be the one going into travelers and making the change. They mm -hmm. just have, the licensed person has to have the conversation and take the, take the information from the client. They don't have to be the one to go into travelers and make the change. So we just started taking it piece by piece. So I hired three VAs at, at the first, and basically all they did was the download information. Every change we made at the agency level, when it comes through on download, we wanted to make sure that that was, that was reflected accurately the way we wanted it done. And so that, that's really where we started, David, is, is VAs just doing download stuff. And then we slowly, once, once they, and, and our VAs are maybe just a little bit different than, than others. Our VAs are part of our team. They're on Zoom with us every single day. They're at, that all of our activities, all of our events, they're in all our staff meetings. They are our, we know their kids' names, their spouses' names. And so once, once my service people who, you know, they're, they're in their sixties and they've been doing this for 30 years, 
So, and they've been doing it one way for 30 years. So they're a little bit stuck in the mud at this point. Once they start to trust these VAs and they're like, well, hey, I, I think Anna, who was one of our VAs at the time, I think Anna could do this. And I think Anna could probably help me with this. Yeah, let's do that. Let's build a process around that. So it was just a, a slow, it probably took a year. So I think uh, of our 15 or 16 uh, VEs now, I think seven of, seven of them are in customer service. And they do downloads. They do all the changes, uh, all the policy changes. They're going into carriers' uh, uh, sites every day looking for pending cancels. They're the ones that are on the call, on the hold all day long with the mortgage companies trying to get verification of payments, all those things that licensed $30 an hour employees don't need to be doing. And so now they look at them as, as kind of their assistance. Uh, and my whole vision was I wanted, even my customer service reps, I wanted to spend the time building a relationship with clients on the phone so they could leverage that relationship and help them better under uncover additional opportunities. And because they were so stressed and overworked, they, they couldn't build relationships. They couldn't, they didn't even have time to pivot. I call it pivot uh, or upsell or cross sell. They didn't have time to do that. So now that they have time, they're, they're now a profit center in the agency where they're, they have expectations and they're generating a certain number of, of uh, revenue dollars every single month on cross selling and upselling and, and, and uh, sending referrals over to the commercial department. Uh, but we couldn't do that before because number one, we didn't have VAs and th they were just swamped. So I have to believe that if I, I was in your shoes and I walked in and I bought an agency that was a two and a half million dollar in revenue agency, even though I knew there was a huge opportunity to grow the commercial side, my biggest fear and probably what would make me personally lose sleep at night is what? What do you think I'm going to say? Cancellations. Retention. 100%, man. Yep. What did you do? to how, how did you handle that? Because for me, I almost believe that if I was going to, if I was going to be in that position, I would probably just spend the money and hire a PR firm to handle it and tell me exactly how I needed to do it, man. Yeah. Well, no, number one, after spending $6 million on the agency and having a $75,000 principal and interest payment, I didn't have money to hire a PR firm. I was the PR firm. So, and, and I had, I had built up while I was at State Farm, I'd built, built up a pretty sizable real estate portfolio that that's what allowed me to, to buy this agency is I leveraged all that. So if I failed, the bank was taking everything except my car that was paid off and my house because in Texas, they can't take your house. Everything else of mine was gone. So I, I didn't have the money or uh, the resources to be able to do anything beyond what I was doing. So the, the number one thing I did. Uh, I think you David, also just described every scratch agent that ever entered the game. And yeah. I, I, would, I would equate you to, I, I honestly feel like if I'm being completely transparent, I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that disagree. I think I would rather start an agency scratch than have to acquire one that was 75 years old and figure out how, to, and I'm only speaking about me personally, yeah. be patient enough to go through what you did. The yeah. journey that you went through when you bought the agency actually mirrors exactly what I did when I worked in the grocery industry before I got my first store. They tried to promote me to run a 15, $16 million a year grocery store I had never worked in the deli. I had never worked in the bakery. And there were like three or four departments. And I, I turned down the promotion. 
And they said, why would you do that? I said, because those people will have zero respect for me if I don't know how to do what they do and I don't show them that I'm willing to do what they do. And yeah. I'll get up at four o'clock in the morning and come in to fry the donuts and bake the bread and all that stuff. I said, the other yeah. thing is you're going to want me to figure out how to make these departments profitable. And if I don't know the nuts and bolts of the operation, how am I going to come in here and fix profitability issues in any kind of a perishable operation? And so I spent the next year going through six months to a year, going through all of those different departments, working in all of the, the, the wild jobs that you would never expect that I would be working in. But then I knew this stuff and the more important piece of it. And I know you, I know you figured this out from what you did, but I had the team at that point. I had the people believing they they knew that I would do what needed to be done and that I had their back, you know? And so I, I, I think that that's a, that's a huge thing, but you know, I think, I think Publix like makes you do that now, right? Like I think they should. To, I think every I, single I, one of them should. Dude, you, you used to get promoted in the grocery industry based on how fast you could stock. That was the criteria. <laughs> that's, that's if you were the fastest boy. stocker, yeah, if you were the fastest stocker, you were at least going to be the night manager, <laughs> if not number two person in the store within a year. With because those big old catcher's mitts you got. <laughs> I know, dude. I was I had it perfected. I could do four cans at one time and I could manipulate my hand muscles. So I could rotate the labels to all be facing in the same direction while I was going. It was it was classic. But, I was I mean, going to ask how, how many cans of tomato tomato soup can you get in your hands at once? You know what? You guys probably can't see this, but if you if you look on my knuckle right there, it's on this side too. My fingers stayed raw from banging them on the shelves. I've got oh, scar. Yeah. The grocery yeah. industry scarred me. <laughs> but but no, no, I mean, I think it's really, I think it's really, really important. But back to my, my original point is I, I just think it would be a lot easier to open scratch, even though that's not any walk in the park either. At least you're starting with a blank canvas yeah. and not dealing with all of the well, that's not the way we did it before. Yeah. That's not the way we did it before. Because here, if anybody says that's not the way we did it before, it's usually because it's gonna make something better. I'm not yeah. the best yeah. at everything in the world. You know what I mean? Well, and I've I've had people say, well, I'd, I'd rather do it the way you did it because you got all this revenue coming in every month. And I said, and I always say, yeah, that was going out every month in the form of principal and interest payments and salaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every dime was going out. Yep. So, and I want to give a ton of credit to Mariana Grimes because when I bought this agency, it's not like I had to come in and fix it because it, it was already a flourishing agency that they, they, she ran an incredible operation and to, to get to it. 70 years or whatever it was to 2.5 million in revenue was monumental in a market of 300,000 people. That's a massive undertaking. And you literally in Lubbock, Texas, you got to live under a rock not to know who Grimes Insurance is. So she did an incredible job. I wasn't satisfied and I didn't buy the agency to stay stagnant at 2.5 million in revenue. The opportunity for me was 30 and 40 and 50 million in revenue. And so that's, that's the undertaking I went it wasn't to fix anything. It was to modernize and it was to scale the thing and to just put the thing on steroids. Okay. So let's build off of that for a second, because you're in Lubbock, Texas, obviously finite. There's only so many opportunities you're going to get there. How do you scale from the 5 million you're going to hit this year to the 30, 40, 50 million down the road? That's a great question. That, if there's one thing that keeps me up at night, that's, that's what it is. So his, historically, David, we've been, uh, we're 100% referral based and our referrals come from lenders, realtors, and, and mortgage brokers. That's who it comes from. 
And so to scale, what we've done is, is done, just done more of that, right? So we're, we're in other markets outside of Lubbock now doing the exact same thing, training, training producers to take our model and to go out and, and generate referrals from those, those referral sources. The, the other piece is, uh, you know, I want to continue to, to acquire other agencies, but I, I knew we had to get we had to get the foundation right because I figured if, if we have the foundation right, meaning we have the systems and processes at the customer service level and at the sales level where we can just go out and generate more business and just throw it on top, all we have to do is add another VA here or another customer service rep here or another salesperson here, and the systems don't change. So it, the other piece is the commercial market in Lubbock, Texas has been virtually untapped. There's one firm here that's that's about our same age, but they've been acquired. I think just in the five years that that I've been uh, that I've owned Grimes, I think they've been acquired three times. So I don't wow. consider them a local agency any longer. Um, outside of them, they're the only commercial game in in town, mm. and so that's that's the other piece of the plan is to to attack, continue to attack the commercial market uh, with a, a level of aggression that we've not we've not experienced yet. So those three pieces there continuing to put other personal line sales producers in other markets and to be able to take our same model to generate referrals and continue to do that. And we've been successful at doing that, continue doing that. And each, each one of those, uh, each one of those producers is generating, generating total between their comp and, and our comp that we split somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to $10,000 a month in revenue. So that, that process is proven and it's working. So it's a matter of how many of those can we, can we add on a year? How many of those can we throw down with a year? Uh, and then it's uh, continuing to acquire uh, other agencies and other markets and basically just pile that right on top of ours and then aggression in the commercial space like we've never seen. So if there's people out there that are thinking about acquiring an agency or agencies, what's a piece of advice you'd give them? Um, the number one advice that, that, uh, that I've get, given people that have called and asked is you have to think of this as a sales. This is a, this is the biggest sale of your life. And when I sat down with Marianne she had a minority partner at the time that owned, I think two and a half or maybe 5% of the agency, uh, that was the biggest sales meeting of my life. And so you, you've got to think when you're sitting down with the owner of an agency, it's a mom and pop shop. That is a sales meeting. And you're there to solve their problem because they have a problem. They, they, need to, they need to unload this agency and they have certain criteria they're looking for. Mariana's criteria was, I don't want my team to lose their jobs and I care about my family's name. All I had to do was solve those two problems and, and I was the buyer, assuming the purchase price and all those things worked out. Mm. So the advice I give to people is you've got to find, you've got to find the problem and you've got to solve the problem because there is a problem. If it's an agency that you're trying to acquire that is just after money, run. If that's the solution is the biggest, the biggest check somebody can write, then run. That's the wrong agency to buy, in my opinion, unless they, they have it severely undervalued. But if there's a legitimate, true problems that you can solve, that's what you've got to do is solve the problem. There you go. So are you thinking that you're going to stay in Texas? Are you looking to expand into other states? What, what does that look like? 
So my my biggest problem right now is I'm in I'm in uh, Hail Alley. So in five years we've got we've met profit sharing with one carrier one time, because every two to three mm. years we have a monumental massive hailstorm. Yeah, you're the- so we're leaving on on let's just say a thirty five million dollar book. We're, we're leaving probably half a million dollars or more on the table every year. So to answer your question, David, I, I want, uh, I'm open to leaving the state of Texas. We're already writing business in other states and in, in small, small amounts. I, I need to diversify our opportunity so that we can offset our, our cat losses here and, uh, and, and build opportunities elsewhere where we can leverage here out of this agency, we can leverage the potential profit sharing. So to answer your question, I'm 100% open to uh, acquiring and or continuing to write business outside of the state. Just as as well, I'm open to being in other parts of the state of Texas that that don't have uh, the hail risk that we have here. Yeah, I feel like Texas is getting plagued on all fronts, though. It's not recently, man. They've been getting hammered with with yeah. all sorts of stuff. The snow, whenever yeah. that was, was the that last the year? Yeah, yeah, yeah the, right. Ago. Yeah. Well, plus coastal Texas is every bit as bad as Florida is, if not worse. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the problem. If you go to DFW, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth area, you've got, you know, 10 million rooftops and hailstorm every three years. But if you go farther south than that, about the only safe place in Texas is Austin. And premiums are so low in Austin, or I guess out in El Paso, but same Hmm. thing. Premiums are so small out there. Uh, those are the, really the only two safe places. Austin gets a little bit of hail, but nothing like we get out here. But you go farther south, you go down into McAllen or Corpus Christi or Houston, you know, every five years or so you get some type of hurricane exposure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it's tough. Um, so we'd, uh, we're open to opportunities outside of the state and uh, cautiously open to uh, opportunities elsewhere in uh, the state of Texas. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's interesting, man, because a lot of the stuff that we've experienced over the course of our history is now affecting so many people in other parts of the country that just aren't used to seeing that type of activity and in the market hardening the way that it is hardened. I mean, and the problem is, I mean, you kind of alluded to it with Austin. At least in Florida, the premium pricing model is built to to absorb it to some some degree. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dealing with people like I've got a lot of friends out in Nebraska, Kansas, that area that are getting crushed with hail, too. And the amount of premium that you can get for a home there versus what you get for a home here, it's like 10 percent of the premium. Like if my house was in Kansas, I would probably pay about five hundred dollars a year, five hundred to a thousand dollars a year for my homeowner's insurance. I yeah. pay just over $5,000 a year right now. Yep. Yep. That's and right. just so we're very, very clear, people, I ain't living in the Taj Mahal. I live yeah. well below <laughs> our means in a ranch that's 2,000 square feet built in 1980. That's yep. what $5,254 a year gets you in Florida. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. Insurance. Yep. Yep. Same thing. Well, and that's, I just wrote a buddy of mine lives in the state of Utah, just outside of Salt Lake City. I just wrote his house. I, I think it's insured. I think we insured it for somewhere $800,000. And I think his premium was, was $980 and it's a 15 year old <laughs> house. 
Oh, yeah, it's man. crazy, man. You know, and we're at a point now, and, and I, I have to be careful because I will say that part of part of the reason the premium has grown on my home the way that it has is because coverage A has also grown substantially. So, sure. I mean, the real estate market is also contributing to what's going on with the premium pricing because my house right now comps in my area a half a million bucks, and I paid barely two hundred thousand for it when mm-hmm. I bought it. So. Yeah. You know, I can't complain too much other than it still sucks to know that that much is going toward insurance. And and the longer this goes on, the more I'm beginning to understand why some of these ultra wealthy people just decide they're going to self-insure for it. They screw it. I'm not going to do it because, you know, five grand a year is a material amount of money. Like it, sure. you can look at the analysis on it and likely something massive is not going to happen above and beyond that. And let's face it, when you've got half a million on coverage A, you're at 25 or 50 grand, depending on where your wind deductible is anyhow. So yeah, you're yeah. going to, you're going to self-insure for, for the majority of the wind related stuff, unless your house is completely, completely trashed. So I don't know, man, it's just, it's, it's an interesting time. I keep hearing that we're going to have relief. I, I feel like that even with the AI and everything else that's out there, that as agents, we still should be very, very secure in our jobs. Yeah. We should be yeah. very secure that people will always need advice because I don't know how you navigate the market otherwise. Well, I, I, I think if, if there are folks that are in jeopardy long-term, I think it's the transactional folks, the people who are genuinely trying to, you know, uh, establish relationships with people and provide a significant amount of value, whether it's uh, advice or or uh, whatnot. Those are the folks who I think are are a hundred percent secure, short term and long term, in uh, in their careers. But uh, yeah, and and then you couple that with because we're right here in in uh, Hale Alley, and and you you guys are experiencing the same thing in Florida. You got carriers that are you know, pulling out like crazy, nothing like what you guys have experienced, but here this year, five of our property, top property carriers, whether it's commercial or personalized, they're gone, hmm. gone. They just can't sustain the losses. They, they weren't generating enough premium per, uh, per structure or per hundred. So they're, they're gone. So all that does is scare the snot out of other carriers, larger carriers. And so they raise rates to try to compensate. And, uh, it's, it's a tough time to be in this business. But I think it's there's never been a better opportunity and a better time to be in the business than the, than there is right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, the hard market certainly lends itself to people who are willing to look past the current state and recognize what's to come. Yeah. And this is the time you build your business, man. I mean, a lot of people are running from it, but I'm I'm doubling down. I, I think yeah. we're gonna have the greatest year we've ever had in 2024. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons yeah, why I'm, well, I'm not traveling and speaking and doing a bunch of the other stuff I've done the last couple of years is I'm going to stay here and we're going to man the ship, but this thing's getting ready to take off in a yeah, way it hasn't. Yeah. Yep. What's well, my team and I just yesterday morning had a conversation and somebody made the mention the term hard market. And I said, you're absolutely right. It is hard for the first time in your career. You got to sell. <laughs> you're right. It is hard. <laughs> we, we, we're not in the, the quote and hope game anymore. This is a, this is a sales game. and. That's what it is. You've got to have real intentional conversations with people. You've got to follow up with people and you've got to do a really good job of helping them understand why their premium went from $2,500 a year to $3,800 a year. Yeah. It's a hard market. It's and a the tough number job one, to sell. The number one trait I think that producers or salespeople in general 
in our industry need to have that's the hardest for them is patience. Because in a market like this, education is what's going to get you deals done and showing that you know and understand the market and being able to reduce that to layman's terms and describe that to the average person who doesn't know how insurance works and thinks it's 15% in 15 minutes or less. Listen, yeah. man, I got to be honest with you. We're in Florida. Every flipping day on the news, there's something else about rates going up, you know, how hard the market is, whatever else. And I still, even in the middle market, we'll have a renewal and the person's like, what's going on with insurance? I can't believe my rates. And I have to stop because like, I, I just wasn't, do you ever watch the freaking news, man? Like, what are you talking <laughs> so about? Frustrating. What's yeah. going on in the insurance marketplace? How do you not, do you not insure your vehicles? Do you yeah. not insure your home? It's not limited to this. It's everything, yeah. everything out there. And you really have to consciously, mentally prepare yourself to go in. And I mean, to me, I can get very, very frustrated very, very quickly, especially over things that I feel like somebody should know if they just pay attention to what's going on yeah. in the world. Yeah. But well, you know, I but when I'm in the right mind frame, when I know that I'm going to go in and I'm likely going to have to break it down and explain it, I actually enjoy doing that because I know that this isn't just about me winning this client this year. I'm going to earn a client for life unless I do something really, really stupid down the road by taking the time to treat them the right way. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of breaking breaking it down and explaining to people, and, and education is the key right now. We just made it. It seems like a really small shift, but it's it's a monumental change in our agency. So we have six people that their full-time job is to remarket business, whether it's commercial or personal lines. Two or maybe three weeks ago, we changed their title from remarketing specialist to retention specialist. Emphasis being, we're not in the quoting game. Yep. We're in the conversation and the education game. So instead of calling them with five different quotes or different options in hand, we're calling them to say, hey, let's talk about your renewal. Here's what's going on in the marketplace. Here's why your, your, uh, your building uh, valuation went up to what it went. Here's why your rate went from this to this. Here's why. Let us see if we can make a couple of changes. Here's what we recommend. Let's do those. Let's see what the, the cost difference is before we take you to market and start reshopping you. So I, I feel like that just little little shift just in the minds of our team has has made a huge shift from we immediately from went from salesperson to, to trusted advisor just by having yeah. a strategy call up front, right? Yep. No lawyer is gonna take your case to trial to represent you without having several meetings, depositions, all the things that go into it. No accountant is gonna file your taxes without taking the time to review all of the information and have a conversation with you about where you want to be in the future versus where you are now and all of that stuff. Why in the world do we just go to the marketplace, come back and say, Oh, by the way, here's what we have for you. No, this, there's no, there's nothing that says this can't be a two-way conversation. Yeah. And, and, and here's the, here's the bottom line. They can do that themselves. Like they yep. don't need us to do that. They can go, you know, we got a massive Raider called Google. Yep, they can put their stuff in there and then come back with quotes. They don't need us to do that. What they need yeah. is a trusted advisor, somebody that can understand the market and can explain it and help them understand how that relates to their specific risk. Mm -hmm. That's what people need. They ca you can't get that on Google. Yeah, I mean, and it's, the thing is, man, it's never limited to just the thing that's in front of you, right? When you're focused on being an insurance salesperson, 
The only thing you're focused on is that actual insurance policy, the premium the client's going to pay, and subsequently how much revenue the agency makes and how much commission you get. In this market, especially in the in the commercial arena, you have to be paying attention to way more. And I'm not even talking about the risk management stuff. I could spend obviously days, if not weeks or months talking about that. I'm talking about simple things. Like a lot of the people who have have accounts need to be paying attention to premium financing. What's yeah. the rate on the finance agreement at this point? Because yeah. there's some of these finance companies that have jacked the rate to the point that you might have a higher quote in terms of premium, but the payment stream in is lower because the finance rate is lower than what it was yeah. on the lower quote. So if you're not yeah. going in and looking to see what kind of terms you're getting from your premium finance partner, thank God, IPFS takes care of us and makes sure that we're always going to have the best quote possible. But at the end of the day, man, this is the, this is one of those things because more people that's and that's the other thing. More people are getting pushed into ENS than than were before. Mm-hmm. So financing becomes a bigger bigger portion of the game. Yeah, yeah, much bigger. Yeah, and I think you know so many people I hear from them that well, hey, I can I can mark this up and I can make make a split on it. Well, it's a better deal. It's a better deal for your client to take an agency fee than yep. it is than it is to mark it up on on uh, your premium finance account. Why why aren't you doing that? You got to. You got to think differently, and what's in the best best uh, uh, interest of the client? Now you you got to make what you need to make to be able to cover your cost and and have some profit. But you, you got to be thinking differently than we were thinking three and four years ago. Yeah, and I, you know my my mind on the premium finance thing, honestly, is yeah, it's a service that we offer. We do gain some revenue from it, but I'm not in the premium finance business. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. that's not going to be the lion's share of revenue that we have coming in, and it's certainly not going to be the lion's share of revenue coming in at the client's expense. So as long as I'm making enough money to cover the the time and energy that it takes for us to actually go in and handle that and chase down late payments and everything else, I'm okay with it, man. I'm okay with breaking even because I'm going to make my money in the other areas of my operation. Maybe I'm short-sighted by looking at that, but I know that if I'm taking care of the client and doing what's best for them, that it's going to be a lot harder for somebody to come in and poke holes in my game and take that account from me because they're going to be loyal to me for the things that I've done to help control costs all along. And I'll point that out. But if I'm just going to go in and say, oh, well, I could probably get a couple more points here, which is going to make my spread bigger, which means I get more money. I may win financially in the short term, but at renewal, somebody's going to come in and hose me and they're going to take it from me. Yeah. Well, and it's perspective too. You got to understand what the lifetime value of a client is in your agency. Yep. And if you understand the lifetime value of the client in your agency, then you're not going to bicker and fight over two or three, four hundred dollars or a thousand dollars because you understand the bigger picture. If I retain this client for whatever your average is, seven years, ten years, I'm going to make this. So, you know, I I feel like that happens a lot. Agency owners I talk to, they're they're fighting and and they're picking arguments over over a thousand dollars. I'm like, well, what's the lifetime value of the client? Ten thousand yeah. dollars. Then why are we talking about a thousand bucks? Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Well, listen, we are a little bit over, but great conversation. I want to be respectful of your time, man. Tell them where they can tune into insurance leaders. I assume everywhere podcasts are heard, and then some. And then tell them, tell people how they can get it. if they want to reach out and hear more about Ryan Reynolds and what you're doing. Maybe they heard something that you know sparked uh, an idea or a question they had. How do they get a hold of you? Uh, it's Insurance Leaders Podcast. Uh, we drop every Thursday morning at 6 a.m. Any place, like David said, any place you listen to a podcast, uh, insur- the Insurance Leaders Podcast, uh, and then uh, 
personally, you can connect with me, uh, Facebook or Instagram, Ryan J Reynolds, seven, nine, or just look me up, Ryan Reynolds. There's only two of us. I, I'm not <laughs> the one with the mint mobile logo on my, uh, on my Facebook picture though. Yet. Uh, You're not the Deadpool guy. Yeah. I'm not the Deadpool guy. Hey, I, you know, you, I'm, listen, man, you scheduled a 30, 40, 50 million. You don't know what you're going to have in the hopper at there that point. That, that's true. That's true. So yeah, those are the best ways to connect with me. Grimesinsurance.com. You can find my information there too. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, listen, thanks for taking an hour out of your day to come hang with this great conversation. Really appreciate your time. People check out insurance leaders podcast. I've listened to quite a few of those episodes. Actually, I listened to one of those episodes that had uh, a certain young man who has a little bit of uh, a tender spot in my heart. My, you guys yeah. actually had Grayson come on and, and interviewed him at one point. So yeah, nice. yeah I think about uh, maybe four or six months ago, we had Grayson on and he he killed it. I'm, I'm excited to have him on here in another year or two, and <laughs> he's going to be crushing it. I'm excited. Yeah, for he's, uh, you know, speaking of patience, I'm taking it very, very slow with him, probably much slower than he would like me to. But I also know what happens in this industry when you try and go too fast, it's slowing down to speed up is my MO always. So yeah, love it. Love All it. right, guys, well, listen, cool. we're going to run everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next time. We have had Ryan Reynolds from Grimes Insurance in Lubbock, Texas, along with my co-host, Mr. Kyle Houck, who is sickness free today. Today, glad, baby. Yeah, today. we're glad to have him. Everybody will catch you next time. See you. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. Killing Commercial.